0: Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to Other Minds and Hands. Now at our new time for those who are joining us live. We are on Monday afternoon slash evening now. So um, thanks, everybody, for joining us. Today, we continue our openings series as we continue to do some uh, close comparison of source texts and adaptations and looking at different adaptations and seeing um, how what patterns we can see and how they handle things. Um, Some of the kinds of similarities and differences to highlight the choices that are being made uh, in the adaptations. Um, We've done two instances of this already. We've uh, done some comparisons of the openings of The Hobbit um, and of The Fellowship of the Ring. And today we are shifting from Tolkien and doing something that Maggie and I have threatened to do many times over the last year, and that is uh Discuss Jane Austen. So today we're like going to do Pride doing, and Prejudice.
1: I feel like we're doing the most contained version we could do, though. Like the first <laughs> yes. two minutes of each adaptation, the first chapter of the text, it's like, all right, let's just dip that toe in and see exactly how we go. Exactly
0: it. Exactly yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. We both
1: love it, but we haven't talked about it in detail to each other. So I just think it'll be interesting to, yeah, to see where this goes.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So yes. Okay. So we're going to look at the opening of chapter one. So, of course, the opening of the first sentence of Pride and Prejudice, one of the fam- most famous opening sentences in all of literature. I'm also not actually I'm I'm less confident about where to end uh-huh. the uh, the opening because she jumps straight into dialogue. Right. Which is a very different approach than we saw Tolkien take in either of his texts.
1: Yeah, I think we might have to just carry it through to like the first establishing scene. Right. Because. That first exchange of dialogue is pretty important, and it does yes. compare pretty strongly to the two film adaptations we're going to look at. So I think it's probably worth looking at that that first transition.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Okay, so um, so we begin, of course, with the famous first sentence. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. However little known the feelings or views of such a man may be on his first entering a neighbourhood this truth is so well fixed in the minds of the surrounding families that he is considered the rightful property of some one or other of their daughters my dear mr bennet said his lady to him one day have you heard that netherfield park is let at last actually do you want to talk about the openings before we get to the dialogue we should probably do that. Let's 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 kind of separate, just like I was. Doing, we were kind of doing a paragraph at a time. Um, okay, yeah. With uh with Tolkien, let's let's kind of start here. Okay. And especially so we,
1: because these two, like like you said, that first line is probably the best known ever. That second paragraph should be one of the best yes. known ever. Because like, man, that says a lot. That says a lot it, in a of time.
0: It really does. It really does. So, um, one of the things that we can, um clearly see which is less clear from the first paragraph is that we are being told the perspective from which like the point of view from which this whole story is going to be taking place right Mm -hmm. Um, this is clearly not going to be a story told from the point of view of the man a single man in possession of a good fortune right Um, the single man in possession of good fortune is clearly established by this second sentence as like the object not mm-hmm. the subject of the story right um uh however little known the feelings or views of such a man the such a man this sort such of dis- yeah it's uh, slightly dismissive right mm-hmm. like we don't really care about who he is we don't care about
1: such a man what he thinks mm-hmm. whatever
0: like you know uh, you know uh, of such a man um this truth is so well fixed in the minds of the surrounding families that he is considered the rightful property of some one or other of their daughters. Yeah. So again, like the surrounding families are, that is without, you know, by, having used only two sentences, we get this clear perspective, right? We are plainly invested in the point of view of the surrounding families. When a single man in possession of good fortune um, the, the... arrives. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The bit I love about that is that geographic element. It's, it's when a man of good fortune arrives to this area and the surrounding families are immediately affected because they see this as their potential property. Like that whole idea in one sentence just paints such a strong picture of what that is so like that sets the setting for us and i feel like that's what's interesting when we look at the adaptations of just like setting 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 this is a very different establishment
0: of setting absolutely. than what we get in the films absolutely yes and uh and of course we also get the plot setting in this sentence as well right mm-hmm. um I, we haven't been told Anything specific yet about any of the characters or any of the action, right? And yet it is clear that the context of the opening of this book is a single man in possession of a good fortune, first entering a neighborhood with surrounding families whose daughter consider him the right, you know, who consider him the rightful property of one of someone or other of their daughters, right? Yeah. Um, so and and so on the so it, it, again, it's easy to say on the one hand we're told nothing about the plot or the characters, but and then. Yet actually we're told almost yeah. everything about the plot yeah. character and we're
1: we're very clear on what the expectation is and what we should see the outcome being right yes. like oh rich man needs a wife that is my expectation like foundation's yes. laid got it
0: yes and the the whole the, the the sort of the impersonal tone of this you know from the um uh the way that the man's Uh, the way the man is depersonalized, right? Um, And the way in which his feelings or views are explicitly disregarded in the second Mm -hmm. sentence, right? Um, He's unimportant, yeah. Yeah, it really shows, it really helps us to understand a whole, the whole cultural pressure from the start, right? Um, It sets a fascinating tone because it It shows how it prepares us for the context that this is not or not to be assumed to be a romance in some Uh -uh. senses, right?
1: It's a transaction slash lottery because it certainly doesn't sound like we care about the match either. It's just many families with daughters— it doesn't matter who she is, you know, right. It doesn't
0: matter who she is. doesn't matter who he is. doesn't matter what they think or feel about each other. Again, his feelings explicitly disregarded her feelings. Yeah. That is the feelings of the daughters, not even addressed. Oh right? no. Just,
1: they're just transactional.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, it's, and, and, and the transaction is family based, mm-hmm. right? The, the surrounding families consider the single man in possession of a good fortune the rightful property of their daughters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the 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 financial the the, the 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 transaction is financial. The transaction is social in the sense of being family related. Though notice his being of good family is not presented as a qualification in the first He just sentence. needs to be rich. That's he just it. needs to be yeah. rich. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So like the whole there's a kind of um, One of the things that makes this first sentence so famous is there's something really just sort of boldly honest about this first sentence as a tone setter for the entire book. Right. Um, We're going to just say right up front. It doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter how they feel about each other. It doesn't matter. What his other characteristics or merits or demerits might be. Is he of good family? Is he a good person? Right? right. I mean, is he horrible? Like, and gonna treat her well or or or, or badly? Doesn't they don't matter. Care. They don't care. don't care. Did it you hear that matter. another Park has let it last?
1: You know, like they don't <laughs> right. care by who. He's got 45,000 right. a year. That's all that matters. Right.
0: They don't hire yeah. a PI. They don't. <laughs> it's just, all they need to know is. Yeah how much money it makes. Um, yeah. And that's the, that's the, that's, of course, it's not, this is not like a summary of the whole book. This is the starting point, right? Yeah. Um, and so it is made very clear. And of course it would have been, um, if we think of, you know, one, one thing that's interesting to do though, kind of challenging to do um, is to sort of compare and contrast the effect, the impact that this, these first two sentences have on contemporary readers compared to modern readers totally right? yeah um to us
1: this,
0: you know what year
1: what year is this eight, 1830 uh, no uh, eight,
0: oh, like, really? uh earlier earlier um i'm forgetting Somebody look it up <laughs> for me i, I forget um, um but it, it's uh well it's set in like the 18 um but no i think it's like first first or second decade it's 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 early early okay. in, the, in the 19th century um Uh, But, um, um, 1813. Thank Thank you. Thank you, Phil. Um, and was written, was written at about that time. And, um, that is there some, Northanger Abbey was the first novel written by Jane Austen, though it wasn't published until afterwards. Um, it was not the first novel published. That was the first one that was written. But that was the the Northanger Abbey, I think, is the only one that was like seriously out of out of sequence. Um, but it, it seems to be set a few years earlier, perhaps, but but around that period. Um, so it's really some I, people will sometimes call Jane Austen, um, you know, a, like will lump her in with Victorian novelists. But Uh she's decades before the Victorians. Uh Um, She's really closer to an 18th century sensibility Uh in a lot of ways. Um, I actually, it was really fun. When I was in college, I was sort of introduced to Jane Austen in a class on fielding in Austen. Henry Fielding from the 18th, one of the first novelists in the 18th century. Um, You know, so we read Joseph Andrews and Tom Jones, and then we read... um, a bunch of Austin after that so kind of understanding her in that 18th century context was really interesting because by the time we get to the Victorian era a whole bunch of things are changing socially and um, it creates a totally different environment if you read something like um, Vanity Fair for instance you can see some of the very different social environment um, of the like mid-19th century compared to the very early 19th century um, but anyway to a modern reader, right? This is an important recalibration. Like it basically is a if we're if we're sensitive to the signal that these first two sentences give us, the signal is clearly chuck out all of your expectations and assumptions about the circumstances in which two people choose to get married and how relationships mm-hmm. are supposed to work. Right. Um It is clear. It clearly declares the all of the social presumptions about Mm -hmm. weddings and about marriage Um, for um, for the contemporary audience. Right. For the audience in 1813. You think about what this does there. What this does is say flatly out loud something everybody kind of knew, but nobody really maybe didn't actually
1: own up to right
0: yes exactly i mean everybody knows that like the money is what's most important but Um, it would be
1: crass if you pointed that out and that would reflect poorly on you which would probably be like you know demerit number one in
0: this community exactly like you're you're supposed in theory to care very much about his character and his family and, you know, is he a good person and are the two of them a good match, you know, in, um, will, you know, she make him a good wife and him, her, a good husband, you know, these are things you're supposed to be thinking about. Um, and there's in most cases, at least a sort of lip service for that, but there's, so this is, I won't say it's shocking, but it's bold. You know, it's bold to, um, uh, there's Austin declares this in a sense to be a work of satire from the very Mm -hmm. first sentence, right? Like that she is, she is, um, exposing and slightly comedically exposing. It feels
1: very tongue in cheek. Like, did you know? Yeah.
0: Right. Right. Um, yes, yes. Um, so Namos Arcana, I wouldn't say that it's subversive, um, any more than, again, so thinking of satire, I mean, uh, we have several uh, sort of obvious and uh, um, widespread, you know, well-known instances of satire in uh, in our culture now, you know, things like Saturday Night Live is often, you know, is, is, is satire. Um, uh, a lot of the sort of comedy news broadcasts, you know, their satire of, 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 of cable news. um, Like the, you know, the, the, the onion of course is, is sort of classic satire. And if you think about those, like, are they subversive? Well, yeah, satire is always subversive a little bit. Right. Yeah. Um, but that's not to say they're necessarily like trying to.
1: Completely anti. Yeah. yeah.
0: Completely anti and like to, to undermine and overthrow everything. Mm-hmm. Um, what this is doing is again, it's, saying out is pointing out a thing that everybody a way in which everybody acts, but which everybody doesn't always say again. And that's what is being explicitly pointed to in the opening phrase. It is a truth universally acknowledged, right? Everybody believes this. Everybody thinks this way. Whenever a rich man, a single rich man, whenever there is a single rich man, um, It is a truth universally acknowledged that he must be in want of a wife. Um, The sentence claims to be about the man, right? But of course, it's actually indirectly about women and the families of women, right? Um, And it is acknowledged, the the truth that's really being universally acknowledged is that uh, marriageable single women and families of marriageable single women are going to throw themselves and their daughters at single men in possession of good fortune. And you can right. always expect this to happen. Right. Um, uh, so, so yeah, so there's a lot that's being sort of, uh, um, sort of, sort of satirized there. Um,
1: but I think that's also kind of the purpose because it's setting up that, expectation that it is just transactional so when emotion enters into these relationships in the text it hits that much harder because they do talk about you know jane jane wants to marry for love and yes you know there is a love between mr and mrs bennett and things like that so you do see emotion you do see love and attraction but it's not the norm it's not the given you're not guaranteed to have it charlotte lucas like right you know exactly. there are there are some matches in the text that are purely transactional but our expectation is to not have that which i think is what makes it such a satisfying romance because i'm not expecting it so then when you get it you're like
0: oh that's not right funny. and there's a lot of like uh openness to kind of examining that on both mm-hmm. sides the ways in which um the kind of tensions between the actual um, what is called out there, how we're little in the feelings or views, right? Mm-hmm. Both of those things, feeling the feelings and views of potential marriage partners are very much going to be the subject of this book, right? And different people are going to have different feelings and views. Views here being, so feelings, just their emotions, whether or not they're attracted to the person, whether they want to marry them. But views also, whether they be views about, marriage and what marriage should be and how that should mm-hmm. work in general, whether it should be, you might have uh, feelings, you know, you might be attracted to somebody, but have the view that they would not be, they would not be smart to marry them. Right. Cause they're not a good fit and not even just for financial reasons, but for other reasons too. Like you might be attracted to somebody who does not have a good character. Yeah. Or who you suspect, you know, might not have a good character in one way or another, like they might be unpleasant and uh, horrible. They might be uh, they might be actually corrupt, you know, like that. Um, So your your assessment of them could, you know, factor into your views on the situation. Um, You know, these these things which are being so casually dismissed here. Uh, again, they're all in every marriage that happens. Every 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 marriage that gets brokered during the course of this book, the feelings and views are always interesting and always important. Um, but it's set against this initial establishment of the presumption is none of that matters, right? Mm-hmm. And so we're prepared. We're prepared for the pushback, right? Which which we'll get. Like when when there are people, you know, when there are girls who are. Um, being set up to marry rich men or to, to to pursue anyway, rich men, um, uh, and are not interested in doing so. They're going to receive a lot of pressure, despite like yeah. to overcome or ignore their feelings or views, right? In yeah. order in order to do this. So, so anyway, establishing this um, this kind of baseline again. It doesn't mean this is how all of the book is going to go, but it does. Place this very firmly as the number one kind of um, expectation to be um, uh, to be kind of dealt with. Um, it really places the the question of where it's um, uh, where it's where the, the the framework is. Sort
1: of. I'm tempted to start tying this into the films. I don't know if you find it too early or if we
0: should. Well, let's look at the. Let's go okay. on to the dialogue next, and then, we'll, and then we can move on to the films. Okay, yeah. So, um, we jump straight into dialogue. Notice we get no introduction. You know, like, the, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Bennett lived in, you know, we, we don't get any they, of that, right? We just leap into, we don't even know at the beginning of the quotation who is speaking, right? My dear Mr. Bennett, said his lady to him one day, have you heard that Netherfield Park has let it last? Mr. Bennett replied that he had not. But it is, returned she, for Mrs. Long has just been here, and she told me all about it. Mr. Bennett made no answer. <laughs> Do you not want to know who has taken it, cried his wife impatiently? I love this bit. <laughs> me too. You want to tell me, and I have no objection to hearing it. This was invitation enough. Why, my dear, you must know, Mrs. Lung says that Netherfield is taken by a young man of large fortune from the north of England, that he came down on Monday in a chaise and four to see the place, and was so much delighted with it that he agreed with Mr. Morris immediately, that he is to take possession before Michaelmas, and some of his servants are to be in the house by the end of next week. What is his name? Bingley. Is he married or single? "'Oh, single, my dear, to be sure, a single man of large fortune, four or five thousand a year, what a fine thing for our girls!' "'How so? How can it affect them?' "'My dear Mr. Bennet,' replied his wife, "'how can you be so tiresome? You must know that I am thinking of his marrying one of them.' "'Is that his design in settling here?' "'Design? Nonsense, how can you talk so? But it is very likely that he may fall in love with one of them, and therefore you must visit him as soon as he comes.' "'I see no occasion for that.' You and the girls may go, or you may send them by themselves, which perhaps will be still better. For as you are as handsome as any of them, Mister Bingley may like you best of the party. I, I, we, I probably shouldn't read like the whole chapter, but uh, though it's tempting. Uh, or chapter, get... just keep going. It's a short <laughs> chapter. Okay, all right, we'll keep going. All right.
1: It's fun, and just yeah. I mean, you know, we can't assume that everyone here is the same way about Pride and Prejudice as they are about Lord of the Rings. So right. you know. Right. Oh, sorry, the camera keeps freezing, but I'm still here.
0: Okay. All right. We'll keep going then. My dear, you flatter me. I certainly have had my share of beauty, but I do not pretend to be anything extraordinary now. When a woman has five grown-up daughters, she ought to give over thinking of her own beauty. In such cases, a woman has not often much beauty to think of. But, my dear, you must indeed go and see Mr. Bingley when he comes into the neighborhood. It is more than I engage for, I assure you. But consider your daughters. Only think what an establishment it would be for one of them. Sir William and Lady Lucas are determined to go merely on that account, for in general, you know, they visit no newcomers. Indeed, you must go, for it will be impossible for us to visit him if you do not. You are overscrupulous, surely. I dare say Mr. Bingley will be very glad to see you, and I will send a few lines by you to assure him of my hearty consent to his marrying whichever he chooses of the girls, though I must throw in a good word for my little Lizzie. "'I desire you will do no such thing. "'Lizzie is not a bit better than the others, "'and I am sure she is not half so handsome as Jane, "'nor half so good-humoured as Lydia, "'but you are always giving her the preference.' "'They have none of them much to recommend them,' replied he. "'They are all silly and ignorant like other girls, "'but Lizzie has something more of quickness than her sisters. "'Mr. Bennet, how can you abuse your own children in such a way? "'You take delight in vexing me. "'You have no compassion for my poor nerves.' You mistake me, my dear. I have a high respect for your nerves. They are my old friends. I have heard you mention them with consideration these last twenty years at least. Ah, you do not know what I suffer. But I hope you will get over it, and live to see many young men of four thousand a year come into the neighborhood. It will be of no use to us if twenty such should should come, since you will not visit them. Depend upon it, my dear, that when there are twenty, I will visit them all. Mr. Bennett was so odd a mixture of quick parts, sarcastic humor, reserve, and caprice that the experience of three-and-twenty years had been insufficient to make his wife understand his character. Her mind was less difficult to develop. She was a woman of mean understanding, little information, and uncertain temper. When she was discontented, she fancied herself nervous. The business of her life was to get her daughters married. Its solace was visiting and news." All right, there we go. She
1: well, was a woman of mean understanding, little information, and uncertain temper.
0: <laughs> it would be an awesome business card. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> it's going yes.
1: to be my subline on, on LinkedIn now.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. F- actually, that would be a really good description, uh, like a profile description on social media. Be be phenomenal. Great. I don't
1: think it actually fits me, but I feel like those that get it would, <laughs> would
0: get me. Yes, so. yes. Yeah. Um, uh <laughs> actually that's very, anyway. Very cool. I, I
1: do think all of that was important purely because it sets the stage of what the text really focuses on and it's this quick dialogue this witty pay attention to the words because everything is trying to tell you something and everything is part of world building yes. like yes. so much is established in that relationship in that household dynamic in that community structure in social mores like we just had so many clues in There's, that lovely yeah. back and forth
0: Absolutely. There are, like, many levels of things that we can see or conclude by careful reading of this paragraph. Everything from, like, the purely superficial, um, which is that Mrs. Bennett is far more, um, like, eager to get her daughters married off than Mr. The Bennett A kind
1: is. way to say it. She is singularly focused. Sing- yeah,
0: completely obsessed, yeah. right. Um all the way up to, like, the really, really sophisticated, like, we have plenty of evidence in this paragraph, in this uh, in this uh, chapter, to conclude, for instance, that Mr. Bennett originally married Mrs. Bennett because she was hot. In fact, he was a young man of... Uh, of, of of good fortune, a single young man of good fortune whom an attractive young local girl threw herself at and whom he married because she was very attractive, although he clearly did not marry her for her brain, um, and that he has more or less regretted his decision. We're also like in the um, incompatibility in the tension between Mr. and Mrs. Bennett, we also potentially see what the consequences are of following the doctrine that was laid out in those first two sentences in the first place
1: yeah i see that i never saw it as regret though it was always just like a little bit of eye rolling you know there's a lot of
0: eye rolling yeah i don't know regret might be strong but in any case like the cost is there right the cost is, is he does not have a marriage partner who is his match? Right. He is right. not. Um, he is not happy in his in his marriage. Exactly. Um, that's not to say that there's no affection there. That's not to say yeah. that like the their marriage is a complete disaster. Because there are certainly ways in which Missus Bennet makes Mister Bennet a very good wife. Um, but um, but are they uh, are they a well suited like are they a well suited couple? No. Like again. So like we just saw marrying for money that's what you're supposed to do that's what mr and mrs bennett did but look at what can happen right well and also he's
1: kind of having fun with that at her expense you know he's very much a fan of his her nerves but he's gonna just play them up and push those buttons oh no you can go visit mr bingley by yourself you don't need me like you know it's fine Obviously, that's going to tick her off because that's not acceptable. And of course, no. you can't do that. And, no. you know, he knows he's winding her up, but she doesn't know that he knows.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's winding yeah. her up, but he's not only winding her up. He is being satirical of her in yeah. ways that he knows she's not going to understand. Get. Mm-hmm. But somebody else, like, for instance, Elizabeth, who is in the room, would get Right. Mm-hmm. Like Elizabeth would be she is she and Jane probably are both smart enough to understand that he is making fun of her in ways that she doesn't get. Right. He's making jokes at her expense for his yeah. daughter's benefit that she doesn't understand, and knowing that she's not going to get it. I mean, th- that idea, as you say, would be totally inappropriate for her to go and introduce herself to Mr. Bingley without an introduction like that yeah. would not be done. Um. um so visiting people without an introduction, it was a social faux pas. Um, okay. But this is what so the, the the sort of the context of this is that um, when a when a man moves into the neighborhood, the moving into the neighborhood is a social excuse for the other men who live in the neighborhood to come and say hello and visit him. And once they visited him, they're now introduced, and their families yeah. are introduced, and so now it's okay for their families to visit each other. Um, so he is suggesting what he knows to be socially inappropriate, because it's socially inappropriate. Like he's making fun of her desire to sell off their daughters as if they're cattle, yeah. right? To the this rich young man, and so you know, so he's teasing her for this, you know, saying I, I will send a note by you to say that he has my hearty uh, 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 welcome to marry whichever of my daughters he chooses right um all he's doing is putting into like plainly crass terms exactly what she uh what mrs bennett is trying to do right um yeah yeah um by the way a couple um a couple quick vocabulary things um because it that this is like okay, this is eighteenth-century vocabulary, and a lot of modern readers. don't when it says Mister. Bennett was a, a mixture of quick parts, when they talk about somebody being somebody, so, so like especially of men, um, their parts, it means that it's talking about his brain, um, his uh, his. It's it's a rather peculiar way, uh, but it's a very typical eighteenth-century expression um, for uh, his okay. understanding, his intellect. Yeah. Um, and similarly, when she fancies herself nervous, not nervous in the modern sense, nervous yeah. in the sense of mm-hmm. I have a nervous disorder and um, like I need to lie down and, um, y- you know, make a and that fuss about
1: things. And that would have been known, you know, nervous meant that. But then yes. he even played upon that saying, actually, it just happened every time she was discontented and didn't get her way. So, you know, even playing on the fact that it wasn't actually a medical condition, it's just, you know, how she reacted when she didn't
0: get what she wanted exactly even the word temper is um it does people think about temper about about getting angry right um but to be of uncertain temper just means very changeable in mood in lots of different directions um um, mrs bennett doesn't get angry she gets extravagant (laughs) right but she's quick to change one way or the other um she can snap out of it she can be all in a tizzy and then snap out of it really quickly too um uh yeah i'm
1: smiling like this because i'm picturing the two filmic versions i'm like they're both so (laughs) good
0: yes they are they are (laughs) i agree um so also notice of course how we are introduced during the course of their banter to um their relationships with their children like think of what we've learned about their daughters Mm -hmm. right we've learned that lizzie is her father's favorite Based on what we,
1: quicker and smarter than the others.
0: Yeah, yeah. He clearly values her for her brains, and so that's the thing that we're told stands out about Lizzie. Jane is the most beautiful. Beautiful. Right. Lizzie is not half so uh, is not so half so half so handsome as Jane. And right.
1: Lydia's created a party.
0: Right. Good humored. Yes. Good means, humored. <laughs> yes. Um, life of the party. The life of the party. Yes, um, and this suggest it's less obvious. Um, it's less obvious from this that Lydia is Mrs. Bennett's favorite. It becomes perfectly clear as the story goes on from that, that one sentence. It's not so obvious. It would be more obvious if we knew, which it hasn't been said yet that there are five total daughters, two of them don't even get mentioned, Mary and, and, and Kitty in this discussion. Um, In retrospect, though, you can see Lydia's number five. She's the youngest of the five daughters. And the fact that Lizzie and Jane are under discussion and Mrs. Bennett skips over Mary and Kitty, says nothing about them and goes straight to Lydia, suggests right there that Lydia is her favorite and her focus there. Um, Oh, Edith, Lydia is absolutely Mrs. Bennett Jr. No question. Like, I, I, uh, yes, yes. Uh, oh, she, she does mention the five girls. Thank you, when talking about her own age. But she, yeah. we don't know that Lydia's youngest based on that one reference yet. Yet. Um, anyway, again, I'm just kind of thinking about what we, um, what we uh, sure. learn. Yeah, in this, in this first. Uh, but yeah, I mean, again, like you can build not only a character profile but a whole family history of the Bennets from this. From this chapter from this very very short chapter which i just read the whole thing of um it's really really marvelous um uh, meow asks what number of jane austen's books is this number three i believe again in, in the order which she wrote them she wrote northanger abbey then sense and sensibility then pride and prejudice if i'm doing that right so i believe it's yeah northanger abbey sense and sensibility pride and prejudice mansfield park um emma and then persuasion Wait, I believe that that is that is the proper sequence. Um, if I learned so my she, lessons, was well. she
1: aware of what her audience's expectations were? Do you think? I don't know what her reception was in popular society. She was, know popular she was popular pretty
0: quickly. Yeah, yeah. She yeah. she was she was she was definitely popular in her own time. Um, uh, does she know her? Um, as far as what her audience expects from her. So this is not her first book. So she has been published before. So it's not this is not her debut novel. Um, she is. Um, Austin is kind of interesting in the context. Oh, I mean, she's very interesting in every context, but uh, she's not. She is both writing into a very well, very well established genre, um, but also subverting that genre in ways but not ways that are totally unique i mean like satiric novels like the novel i mean it's one of the ironies is that the first novel okay so there were two first novels in english robinson crusoe and pamela the third novel in English was a satire of was a was a parody of of one of the first two and that's Joseph Andrews was a parody of Pamela um which is uh, Joseph Andrews which is an expansion of the short story called Shamela uh which was a uh, a direct parody of Pamela and then gets expanded into full novel length version in Joseph Andrews um but um anyway it's um uh yeah Oh, excellent. Phil, thank you. Yes. Sense and Sensibility, 1811, Pride and Prejudice, 19. Hey, look, I did get the order right. Northanger Abbey is published last, but again, it was written first. Um, yeah. Good, I got the order right. Um, yeah, I'm uh, uh, most of the, this is all, this is me repeating my lessons I learned long ago. Um, uh, this was uh, reading all six of Jane Austen's novels, was the condition on which. Uh, my reading okay. all six of Austin's novels was the condition on which my <laughs> wife agreed to marry me. Um, so I've, uh, I, I got much instruction on Austen. Uh, An have excellent test For many years, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, uh, let's, let's talk about the adaptations. Yes. Um, do you want me to get the visuals up?
1: No, we can just hang on to them in case we need. I mean, if you haven't seen them, there's two YouTube clips that maybe we can pop into chat. No, there's too many chats to pop into. But you guys can try. I can. I can. I. I. think I
0: can do it. I think I can do it.
1: There's two intros that if you haven't seen these, maybe you can just put on low volume because there's not a lot of talking in early and just watch them real quick. They're like two minutes each. Um, Just while we talk about them, because just I just think they're real interesting. They're not crazy different from the text so like when you watch them you're very familiar if you're familiar with the text of where we are and what we're doing but the differences that do exist i think are pretty striking so let's talk bbc first so remember yeah. the text we just jumped straight into saying a man needs a wife and here's the social expectation yeah BBC it, one it makes Ooh. a
0: remarkable first choice which is to yeah. start with bingley the, and darcy yeah Riding horses across a field, and coming up to Netherfield, seeing Netherfield house, the house that he is that is, that that Mr. Bingley lets, you know, at the beginning of this, and having a conversation between Bingley and Darcy um, where. Bingley announces that he's going to, he's going to, he's going to rent.
1: And also that he needed his friend's permission, you know, wanted a second opinion. We get the dynamics
0: between them and their relationship. And Um, that
1: dialogue is really revealing as well, because they are saying, yes, it's a fine prospect, but you'll find the country. um, What do they say? The, the, the company a bit, what's the word he uses? Oh, I can't remember the word. Uh, Um, You'll find a bit crude.
0: It's not quite so sharp as that. I can't remember exactly. Oh. Yeah. Um,
1: he says something about the country folk. So, like, again, you can automatically see something about, like, class structure and expectation. And,
0: yeah. and this is a huge thing in 18th and 19th century literature, the uh, English literature, the difference between town and country. Right. So you've got, like, town, London, which is the town, which is the center town. of all sophistication and society. And then you've got country living that mm-hmm. is... People, uh people who live out outside like the whole rest of, of England and everything is is the country, right, compared to London which is the town. Um so I worked people... for a
1: producer for years that calls London town still. And it just took <laughs> me ages to realize, oh, London.
0: London, <laughs> right, is, yeah.
1: That is the one and only Capital T town.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um and to say like town versus country <clears throat> is to talk about sophistication versus um, uh, you know backwardness. Um, mm-hmm. People who savage families, story. even if they're, um, uh, you'll find the society something savage, right? Savage. Which is of course an exaggeration, right? A comic exaggeration between the two friends. Um, yeah. But um, uh, but it
1: also reveals yeah. something of Dar- of Darcy's character that he's quite judgmental and yes. you know he is putting yes. a certain amount of prejudice on his buddy before he even moves into the place.
0: Right, exactly, exactly. Now, but it what's interesting is, sorry, go right. ahead. No, 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 you go.
1: Yeah, it's just what's so interesting is just leading with the two guys.
0: Yes. We're going
1: straight into these two who aren't even in the picture for quite some time. And if they no. are, it's all in Miss Bennett talking about Bingley. But yeah, to have them kind of be front and center, trumpets literally sounding as they ride across a field it makes it seem like these guys are the main protagonist center of the story. So and it setting dub- it up that way. Is yeah.
0: Like yeah. It is doubly noteworthy because I think with almost no exceptions in none of her six novels, does Jane Austen ever depict like depict, not recall or have somebody tell a story about, but actually depict a scene between two men with no women present.
1: that never
0: ever happens i I don't think there's a single example um of a of a just a straight up narrative depiction of that kind of thing she always yeah nor
1: do we have that many moments of just a man on his own in a space like when Mm -hmm. we have perspective it's just of the female and yeah, that's what I just said, the reverse it's Bechdel test. The reverse exactly. Bechdel test, exactly, yeah. 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 200 years before it's time. <laughs> um, yeah, that threw me. I'm like, yep, exactly. Yeah. Um, but what I think is interesting about the other half of both of the adaptation intros, we'll talk about the, the Keira Knightley, Joe Wright one in a minute too. But with both of them, what we see Lizzie doing is the same. And we don't see Lizzie in the text Mm -hmm. really at all. She's in that room, but we don't really get much of her character. But both of the modern adaptations focus on her independence. She's out for long walks. She's appreciating nature. She's jumping. She's running. She's being a bit thoughtful and silly and reading a book and kind of holding it to her chest. Like, they both have these moments that paint a picture of who Lizzie Bennet is. So we do get that, but also with both of those, we have massive location establishment. Like, yes, the whole purpose is to set the scene, which is also the whole purpose of the text. So in the first couple of pages of the text, we get the scene. We just get it in a very different way.
0: Yes, yes. And
1: with the adaptations, the BBC one, I think that's what they were doing with the two men. Like, we get the visual geographic location with the establishing shots and Lizzie on a walk and the run and the horseback. But we also get the class introductions with that kind of exchange between Darcy and Bingley. Whereas the Joe Wright one, no talking for a very long time. Yeah, It's just visuals.
0: Yeah, we don't get any, in the whole first two and a half minutes, we don't get a single word of dialogue. Which is
1: so Joe Wright anyway. I mean, he's all about (laughs) beautiful images and minimal dialogue for emotional impact. And it, it works, you know, it's a style that suits him. So you really do get a sense of the vibe of the family and kind of the energy and the way it's shot is almost like um, West Wing, Aaron Sorkin. You know, it's almost like a, I forget what they call it, the walk and talk. It's almost Mm -hmm. like the walk and talk where it's a perpetual motion. And I don't know if you noticed our little trick of left to right. Pretty much everything is left to right in that bit. The only time it's right to left is when she's entering the house. I thought that was quite interesting that, oh, it only goes the wrong direction when she's entering the house. And then the camera continues its own tracking tracking as well. So you feel like you are part of the Bennett family. And no talking through that whole thing. Just a beautiful soundtrack and lovely lighting. And it just absorbs you into the space. Whereas the BBC one, we're watching it unfold in front of us. We're not part of it, but we're getting a lot of information in a different way.
0: Absolutely. And the thing so especially with um, I mean, uh, to me, so to me, the number one most striking thing is that that all male scene at the beginning and mm-hmm. the main effect that I would point to there, um, just to, to add on to the things that you're saying here uh, is the relationship that we are invited to have with the story is quite different from the start. Right. Again, the first couple sentences of the book um the man the single man in possession of a good fortune is the premise of the plot right and the object of interest but is but the action is wholly centered in the surrounding families and with their daughters right we are being prompted by seeing bingley and darcy independently at first they're our very first impression. As you say, It could, as far as we could tell, this is what the story is the story's just about them. And much of the rest of the story is not going to disappoint us in that, right? They're going to both be very important in the story. But we're prompted from the very beginning to view them equally with the surrounding families and the women. It's not, it's, this is not just a... Um, a in the book... The book, the book is totally from the point of view of Elizabeth and Jane. Like, we know what they're thinking. We know what they're feeling. We hear them talking to each other. We're told about what's going on in their minds, right? Whereas Bingley and Darcy are mostly black boxes that they're trying to figure out and that we are trying to figure out. We don't find out for sure. What's going It's only like there will be important moments of revelation when they when we are told what they're actually what their, you know, their feelings and views actually are. Right. Um, but we are left from the perspective of the the women and the surrounding families um, interpreting, desperately interpreting right what are they thinking what are they wanting what are they how are they responding um what conclusions can we draw and i just think that placing bingley and darcy in that opening sequence has a revolutionary impact on our whole perspective on this narrative um, it is in my opinion a really really remarkable choice
1: fully agree <laughs> um, yeah i mean yeah. bringing yeah. these guys in to be a central focus it's just not what we have expected anywhere else and it wasn't repeated anywhere else either in in any adaptation i can think of of jane austen but i haven't seen them all
0: but yeah.
1: especially for the adaptation version that is kind of seen as the adaptation it's six hours long it's very faithful authentic all those words that i say are problematic it it is very close to the text Uh, so it's kind of seen as the bar that everything else is measured by plus it captivated everybody and became like a cult sensation and continued to enamor everyone you know for years and years and years um so to have it be such a change that wasn't repeated i think is also really
0: interesting yeah exactly and And I will say it's a it's a choice that they make repeatedly throughout the book. And in fact, a number of the most popular moments in that adaptation are some of these added scenes. Of course, I'm thinking in particular of the famous Mr. Darcy takes his shirt off and dives into the pond scene. Which is
1: but that's... the main reason the thing is known anywhere. Right? And then people watch it and fall in love with him,
0: but... <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's... Um, but that moment, right? They've added this iconic and symbolic moment, but it's one in which we, the viewers, are being shown an interiority on Darcy's own life and thought. Right. That is nowhere, nowhere close to that ever. Um, Another scene, which is, uh, sorry, go ahead, go ahead.
1: That was the same in the Joe Wright one, um, when he's helping Keira Knightley get into the carriage after visiting Pemberley and their hands touch for a hot second and both of them like flex their hands and you see Darcy get like visibly like, like he felt the spark, like right. we don't get to see that in the text yeah. to see yeah. him like actually have an emotional reaction and response to a physicality. Like, right? ooh, again, right. that's why things work so well in a visual medium. Like I don't necessarily want or need pages and pages on screen to draw out when something like a handhold and that also kind of reflects back to your own shared experience that most people in the audience will know the value of a touched hand and right. how exciting that can be. So, like, seeing that between these two characters and having it be so G-rated is just lovely and very absorbing.
0: Yes, yes. And it's, um, again, it, it, th- that is a really classic example also. It's, is, does that, is that true to the text? It's true to the text. Right? Um, It is clear to me, as the day is long, that the number one initial and primary reason that Mr. Darcy falls in love with Lizzie is that he finds her completely sexy. Like, it is a, 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 a hot, physical reaction that he has to her. Um like that clearly i mean there's no question in my mind that it is it is i'd
1: like to think there's a little bit about her brain there's more in there. i'm not saying no, yeah. no i'm not i'm not saying it okay. doesn't
0: enter into it i'm saying that's oh, where yeah. it starts that's where he it is starts.
1: taken absolutely yeah yeah
0: and the, and what they're representing he, something say. that's clearly there
1: and and he says you know she's fairly tolerable but that's also the societal expectation like he hasn't had a moment to actually be impressed by her wit or her knowledge. Like that's yes. not acceptable for him to just go chat with her about their latest favorite book. Like yes. he can only judge her on appearance and yep. maybe family. Family's yep. not going to do her any favors in this situation. So he's no. just going to
0: focus on, not at all.
1: on attraction.
0: Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I mean, there's, there's, there's a very physical attraction between both of them, though. Lizzie doesn't want to admit it either. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And that itself is one of the things that's really interesting. I mean, that yeah. um, it's interesting because I find this person physically attractive is one of the other really important elements in this whole love and marriage equation, right? And yet it keeps, um, that's the thing that like you really kind of dare not name, right? Um, and isn't supposed to come in. But we see it from whether it was Mr. Bennett for Mrs. Bennett, which was clearly like about 98% of that, no hundred percent of that um or whether it's um uh you know whether it's like mr wickham uh who is obviously like enormously sexy and charismatic uh okay. again like his physical attractiveness is clearly almost over over magnetic yeah. yeah he's a completely yeah. magnetic uh 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 person um
1: To the point Uh, that, like, you can't help but compare him to some sort of, like, Neil Gaiman, Greek God-type character. Like, it just seems to really, like, draw you in. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's—Wickham is a fascinating character because Mm. it's one of those where, like, the more times you read the book, the more times you're like, how does he not come across as scuzzy from day one? Like, on rereading—every time you reread it, he seems scuzzier earlier, right? And yet— when you first meet him every every woman is helpless when they first meet mr wickham uh uh because uh, anyway no there's there's a lot He's there
1: what's called a player
0: <laughs> yeah he is completely a player 100% um yeah. But um, I like,
1: kind of agree the these days people would be rushing to diagnose what kind of neurodivergence Darcy is. And I really feel like that is how it's played. I don't know if that was purposeful or not, but you certainly see that element of Darcy that he's so blunt, he's so direct that yes. it's it's part of his character and those that love him kind of respect him for that directness. Yeah. But you see how that comes off as incredibly rude. Yeah.
0: <laughs> And that he is shy. He is explicitly open about. I mean, he confesses this later on. Um, Yeah. This was... um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, He's... um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, And again, this is... It's the amazing thing about the book, right? Is that you are always... Austin is always placing us in the position of having to interpret... Right. Um, One of the things that makes Pride and Prejudice such a work of genius is, you know, people talk about like the writers who show things instead of just telling them. Right. What Mm -hmm. Jane Austen does is tell us things and that will lead us to draw certain conclusions, tell us and show us things that will lead us to draw certain conclusions. But which then we will be made to question later on. We're always, yeah. Yeah. It's I mean, and this is exactly the situation. I mean, that very circumstance of the acts of interpretation that we're having to do and of, of an assessment and reassessment of people and their characters and their intentions. It is so true to actual human experience. You know, the number of times you're like, what did she mean when she said this? Or like, it could have meant this, it could have meant that. Like, what is it? What is she really thinking? Like she said this, but what does she really think? And, and, you know,
1: and, And those exchanges between Darcy and Lizzie when they're talking about Jane, that's that's where I think one of the places you see it most clearly, Um, because Bingley and Jane obviously get together and have, you know, a nice little flirtation. And Darcy breaks it up because he doesn't think that Jane actually likes Bingley. So he goes through this whole rigmarole of like, she didn't seem that interested. I told my friend he didn't seem that interested. And he wasn't wrong.
0: And, he wasn't, I mean, he was wrong, yeah. he was not, but like it, his interpretation was a totally his interpretation plausible interpretation,
1: yeah, is understandable. Yeah. But instead of asking, he just dictated, you know, it's yes. so like there's no communication, there's just presumption. Yeah. Um, and then they act on that, and then it's just this backpedaling, of like, but wait, you don't know her. And so, again, it's very much like why I think this, this literature persists so well because we can all relate to that. I thought you meant this, no, I didn't mean that, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. By the way, on the subject of Darcy's physical attraction for Lizzie, my favorite line in the whole book is when he's, he's, descri- he's watching Elizabeth from a distance and Miss Bingley comes up to him and says, I can imagine what you're thinking right now. And he says, I, I yeah, would I imagine should. not. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I assure you, you, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> That's so good. It is so good. I should imagine not. <laughs>
1: I don't think that line made it. I don't
0: think that made it into either adaptation. No, did it? I don't think it does. Uh, I don't, don't think, think it did. does. I, it might have done into the BBC. It might have. I can't remember for sure. But yeah. oh man, I love I, sure. I love that line. Um okay. uh anyway, yeah. It's it's but but now coming back to this is one of the things that makes Pride and Prejudice such an interesting example in comparing film adaptation and book adaptation, right? Hmm. Because or uh, the like book version and film version I mean because when for one for one thing as a writer you are much more in control of the point of view than in a film right like a writer can is in more absolute control of what data the reader has to notice. Right. And the film can control those and can manipulate those in some very interesting ways, but it's but the relationship isn't the same. Right.
1: Percept the same way we're just talking, perceptions can be drawn based on the viewer's own experiences and understanding of things. So, you know, if you show me a dark cave, I might see that as really exciting and kind of intriguing. Somebody else might see it as the terror place of doom, you know, so right. Expectations.
0: Yeah. And there are ways that like so the filmmaker can choose to like uh, through the soundtrack cue you in a particular direction. Right. So let's play fun, adventurous music instead of horror music. And that'll help get you in the right frame of mind for for taking in what you're taking in. So, again, there are things that can be done. Um, But again, like the the writer can be can depict a conversation and tell you very selective things, even if they're giving you, you know, you feel like you're getting the whole picture. Um, they don't have to tell you facial expressions. They don't have to tell you describe body language. You know, they don't have to, they can slant things by particular word choices that are again, not just even within the dialogue itself, but in, in the context of the, of the dialogue. Um, uh, Yes, there are lots of ways, again, in which the point of view can be can be managed and the information that the reader has can be managed much more, much more directly. Um, whereas, again, in a film, if you're watching two people have a conversation. You have to provide all these You know, to some extent, you have to provide them all these things. Um, yeah not only the words but the the tone of voice the facial expressions the body language um the
1: room that they're in what they're wearing you yes. know is it morning is it night is it raining is it sunny like and i remember one of my first film classes nothing in a scene is an accident so like absolutely everything in a scene is chosen for purpose and yes. sometimes you know some things have more purpose than another But they're literally looking at seven lamps on a table to see which one works best because it's going to give a certain emotion or let off a certain light that can affect how somebody looks rather sharp light or soft light, you know, so nothing in a shot is an accident like everything in there is is going to give you some sort of idea of what the purpose of that that moment is and who these characters are. So it's quite fun if you ever, you know, do pause one of your favorite films and just pick apart a single scene. I love looking at people's bedrooms. Like how do they decorate the walls and what's on the floor? Somebody had to set that up. Like none of it is an accident.
0: Right, right. It is. um, And I, I, I do think that people still underestimate how exactly how much thought goes into every single detail.
1: And how effective that is. Like I feel like you are so immediately drawn out of a story when something isn't right in that scene. So, you know, when people find a car in the background is the obvious example, you know, it's some period drama and they they see a car in the background of a shot that wasn't edited out and you're like, ah, sure, there's that. But I also think there's things where like a room can look like it's two staged. Oh, it looks mm-hmm. like they've decorated this to look like a parlor from 1813, rather than it being right. a parlor that they live in in 1813. Right. It's it's a fine line, but it you know, there is a big difference.
0: Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Let's, um, can I pull in the visuals for a second? Yeah, please. Okay. I want to look at the way we're presented. So thinking of these things, thinking about the the tools that they have for themselves here, right? I want to look at the way the Bennett family is presented in both of these two films because that we get the Bennett family presented through dialogue in the book, right? Um, And on the one hand, you would think or one might possibly think right, that um, this is the uh, this is the most obvious. I mean, like this is really snappy dialogue. You could easily do this in a movie. Right. But they don't neither of them choose to start with this di- we right, get a okay. version of this dialogue in 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 both of the films but neither of them uses this as an opening in the way that Austin just jumps in without even introducing the characters right she introduces the characters through this dialogue so okay so i'm just going to look here uh this is the pride and prejudice one the pride prejudice one this is the bbc one um okay so i'm not going to play it i'm just going to i'm going to like go through it so here's the because I don't don't want to take too much time. So here's Bingley and Darcy coming up, as we said. I want to get past this to the Bennetts. Okay. So we start here with Elizabeth, like a portrait of her face is where we start. And then, because she, and she's seeing them, right? Mm -hmm. She's seeing, she's watching watching them from a distance. I'm not doing the music. Um, Now she walks around and we see her sl- st- strolling slowly down the hill so we have her out walking right we get the countryside location so this definitely, established. yeah location established because we get her now running yep. downhill right so we have this and now picking flowers so there's this sort of freedom of her uh, you know we get the okay we're gonna, sort of farm setting we get horses and a and a and, and a wooden fence Right. And she's clearly very comfortable and familiar here. Now we're getting the house. Come around the corner. Okay, there's Longbourn House.
1: And if you do hear the soundtrack, it's just natter, 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 screaming, screaming, screaming. Oh, yes. Her
0: sister's screaming. Yes. This is Kitty and Lydia arguing inside. Um, She stops at the window. Here's Mr. Bennett, her father, reading a book in his study, and she pauses right outside the window. He looks up and sees her, rolls his eyes at the sound. She rolls her eyes back and they share it, you know, so we can see. Notice how they just accomplished one of the things that Austin accomplished in the dialogue, right? The connection right. between Lizzie and her dad, how both of them understand things and understand each other. And both of them kind of distance themselves from the younger sisters, which we now see fighting and running around. There's Mrs. Bennett complaining about her nerves. Um, we see Mrs. Bennett's favoritism for Lydia right away because she immediately decides in favor of Lydia and Lydia, who has stolen Kitty's bonnet and um, uh, Mrs. Bennett and Kitty's trying to make, them, make her take it back. Anyway. And now we finally get Jane. Completely separate from the in. chaos. Yeah. Joining Separate up Separate from the cast. Hidden. Right. Yeah. The joining up the two of them together. Um mm-hmm. standing shoulder to shoulder. Right. So that's
1: established. And then there's and then there's Mary just not. Mary sitting off sitting <laughs> off by herself, not saying only or doing wearing,
0: anything and anyone nobody paying attention to her. Yeah.
1: And the only one wearing that, like, you know, very prim, proper, long sleeve, button up
0: situation. Yeah. yeah. So then we get them walking home from church.
1: Getting this the is, gossip.
0: Yeah, Mr. Bennett out in front, looking like he's trying to outpace them all. Mrs. Bennett literally running to catch up with him and try to keep up with him. And this is where we get the beginning of the dialogue, the the the, the parallel dialogue, though it happens where he in never motion. Makes,
1: and he never makes eye contact with her. Just, yes, <laughs> he he goes, tell me, tell me, tell
0: me. Right, exactly. He never makes eye contact. Okay, so, so the, we learn a bunch of things about the Bennett family here. We can see many of the dynamics that they have prompted us to. And they do. uh, We get some dialogue, like between Mrs. Bennett and Kitty and Lydia. um, But much of it is done without dialogue. Um, What are some, like, adjectives with which we would describe, like, the Bennets and their household? It would be, well, chaotic chaotic is inside Mm -hmm. the house. Though sharply contrasted with the peacefulness outside, yeah. right? Um, Especially when Elizabeth was up on the hilltop and during her mm-hmm. um, walking, skipping, running, picking flowers on the way down. It shows um,
1: you why she likes that too. It just gives her that separation from the chaos. So she's not other, she's not, you know, Mary. She does participate, but she appreciates the peace and serenity. But yeah, yeah, and you can tell they're well off. I mean, things are nice, but they're not flashy. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do think they're depicted as more poor in the films than in the text.
0: Do you agree? I think so, though we've clearly been shown the two houses, Longbourn and Netherfield, in this version. And it's very clear that Netherfield is much larger than Longbourn is. But Longbourn is also clearly... A big house, you know, with the columned entry and everything and the big driveway that comes out in front of it and everything. So um, it's they are positioned as of the like gentleman class. Right. Of the Mm -hmm. they are they are they are landed gentry. Right. But with
1: minimal income.
0: But with less income, certainly. Than, uh, than the Netherfield folks, um,
1: and they give us those numbers quite early on too, don't they? We get four to five thousand a year for Bingley, and she said, "Well, who would have me for fifty a year?" So we already she know has, yeah, Lizzie has the no money worth yeah. yeah
0: yeah yeah, Lizzie has no money, and uh, um, even when we learn in the book, the I mean in the book, the again it's easier to do exposition in books as well to explain about. How Mr. Bennett has two thousand a year. His his property is worth two thousand a year, but his so he actually is 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 half as rich as Bingley, but his property is entailed and he can't leave it to his daughters and he can't give it away. So he, um, so his daughters don't have a, a significant marriage portion. Um, yes, N- nameless Arcanum, You're right. They are all, um. They're definitely landed gentry class. The 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 whole group of them. We don't see the daughters uh, doing work. I agree. Um, okay, let's look at. All right. Yeah. let's look at the other one. Okay. Sorry. Bringing that over. Yeah, make it a little bigger okay alright so in the Kara Knightley one we just get landscape a beautiful sunrise over the trees it's still a beautiful sunrise (laughs) oh the sun is rising a little bit more that is the action so far is the sun is now higher over the trees than it was before
1: just the pace that it's setting though like the titles come up really slow the music is very chill and quiet oh we're just revealing that title like Uh It's a shorter film, but it doesn't feel rushed because it's really setting this
0: pace. We had over 45 seconds in which the camera did not move. It starts with that landscape shot and then doesn't move for 45. Then we get Elizabeth again. So once again, we get a head and shoulders shot of Elizabeth, this time again outside, this time reading. Right, so we're getting sort of the two things about her. We're getting bookishness. We're getting we're getting you know intellect,
1: as well as the solitude.
0: walking outside.
1: Yeah, the solitude, and they're really engaging with the text. Like she's reacting to it, and then mm-hmm. this little stroke of the cover.
0: Yeah, now we see once again farm stuff. Look, there are cows wandering around in the background. She's, um, walking on this little like bridge thing uh, across the pond we see laundry outside so we see the house over here on the right and the first thing we see is the laundry hanging up outside um
1: very domestic but also i love this like little bridge she's walking i don't know if there's an importance to it but you can't help but feel it's like a slightly precarious Yes. instance that she confidently traverses like if you want to read a film you could read into that and be like it is a narrow path she is treading but she's doing it well
0: she could fall to either side but yeah. not only does she as you say does she make it but she makes it with confidence like this is part of her routine her routine she could is... probably be
1: reading that book and still do it you know
0: exactly exactly yeah Um. she comes in amongst the laundry we see people working in the background, probably servants, though one of them might not be. The one standing with the bonnet on is clearly a servant. Is that one of her sisters sitting down? Might be. I think it, I think it, I think it may be. Yeah. I don't know if yeah. she's butchering, but she's doing something. It looks like some kind of laundry work, I think.
1: And watch the camera work from here in, too.
0: Oh, yeah. She passes by the door, and now the, now we stop. We leave Elizabeth and and go in and we that... enter
1: into the house.
0: Oh, there's Jane. So once again, we've got Lydia and Kitty running around. That would be Mary at the P- at the pianoforte.
1: Soft light, warm. The big
0: dog, the dog is a is a feature of this of this film. If we just had this shot, I'm, I I keep pausing it, but if if we just had this shot of the table with the bonnet yeah. and the fancy chairs and the like this on the one hand, looks refined, right? But um, lived in. Cl- cluttered, very lived in, right? But this looks like a really sharp c- we came in the back door, right? The film yeah. brings us in the back door through the laundry and the um, We're part of the family, the you know, and
1: that's and that's what I mean about like a scene being too set. If somebody said, give me a, a Regency era dining room, you'd have really, really fancy prim and proper this has like clothes thrown over the back of a chair, which is what right. any of us would do and just leftover strewn on the table. Cause they haven't been cleared yet. And yeah. Yeah. Very lived in.
0: Yes. Yes. Um. Yeah. And I agree, Phil, I think we've accounted for all the sisters. So I think that was not a sister in the back, in the, but we couldn't tell, we, we couldn't tell originally
1: mm.
0: like, and there's like the guy feeding the ducks, Or they're geese, I think. And then now here comes Elizabeth back around the front. And here she comes in the house from right to left.
1: But we get that moment away from her to kind of swoop through the home, reconnect with her, and then she'll take us inside via this conversation.
0: Right. There's Mr. and Mrs. Bennett. The shift from light to dark the beautiful cool. the beautiful glowing um glowing light outdoors right this glowing golden light here right before while she's still outside on the front porch and then she goes in and it's really dark like really uh, dark you know right away it's you the,
1: Take it, take it back another couple seconds it actually darkens outside before she walks in doesn't it There's almost
0: like a fade to black. It does. Almost there. yeah. And then of course as we go through the wall um, we get it. Yeah. Okay. So no dialogue in that whole first two and a half minutes of the film at all. Um, So um, Okay. The Bennett family is far more rustic in the Keira Knightley version. This is one of the things that I, I, I would admit it kind of bothered my wife when we saw that film the first time she thought that they were making the Bennett's look too poor. Yeah.
1: Um, and you saw that in a lot of the reaction articles that they were poor, mm-hmm. but they were more fun.
0: Right. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. So, um, so Anyway, it's such a fascinating opening, but I think again, in ways, the opening, especially of of that one. What did you say that director was? Joe Knight. Joe Wright. Joe Wright. Yeah.
1: He did Atonement and um, oh, what's that other big one? I'll think of it. Keep going.
0: Okay, um, the Joe Wright version. Um. Even much more so than the BBC version. Comparing the opening of that film with the opening of the text is—it's like a spotlight on what you can do in books compared to what you can do on film, right? I mean, Joe Wright is leaning very, very heavily into like the tools at his disposal as a, you know, visual you know, artist here, right, um, with what he's putting on. Um, it's almost extravagant in the way that, you know, Austin introduces everything through immediate dialogue, this exchange which we overhear and we learn everything. We can figure out everything from reading. And Wright says, nope, I'm just going to pan the camera around and show you things. And you'll be able to draw conclusions about that. And we could go through... We're running out of time. Well, we have run out of time. But uh, we um, we could go through... And like we were doing with the book and talking about all the different things, all the different conclusions we can draw and all the things we can learn about the characters and the world, we could do the same thing from that opening. Mm-hmm. All the things that we learn about all, from all those different camera shots. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, that's... It's really... It's a it's a remarkable study in what you can do in the different ways.
1: And I feel like it took us a long time to get to this statement. But like that's another thing I love about adaptation is there's so many ways to tell a story. You know, like we don't have to go straight into dialogue. We can spend multiple minutes with just pretty music and low lighting and walking. And, And by the end of that, two, three minutes. We know a lot about what's happening in this world and who we're dealing with.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so namus arcanum is asking: uh, Do we think the openings are so much more focused on physical setting because they're period pieces for us as a modern audience versus being contempor- uh, contemporary to the reader like the book was? I I think it it does kind of benefit us in some ways, but but it's certainly there's no sense in which the Physical. The focus on setting, which both of them do a lot of, non-dialogue establishing shot. I mean, establishing shot after establishing shot, right? In those, um, but um, but it's it's not just. It, it is doing a lot. It is conveying a lot. And again, and it's conveying a lot of the same things. Um, and where it, go ahead? No, go ahead. Go ahead. So I was going to say in the BBC version. Like the moment with um, the Lizzie and Mr. Bennett eye contact and eye roll, right? There we can see them setting out to, like, identifying things that Jane Austen accomplishes in that initial dialogue and setting out to accomplish those same things using the different visual tools, right? Um, in the the joe wright version i don't think that we can see exactly that same thing i don't think that we see him i at least i don't get the the kind of the direct connection back to the very things that are being emphasized in the conversation um mm-hmm. between mr and mrs bennett in chapter one um it, it doesn't correlate so directly so right? directly um yeah. and yet he is still established he is still doing the same kind of work we are right. of of world building and character building and establishment of um, of perspective and sort of the framing of the story. Yeah. Right.
1: But he does so much more of that through camera angles and through lighting and through music that, you know, there's multiple moments in the Drove Wright version where something emotional happens and the camera goes from here to here in mm-hmm. seconds that's right. so rarely happens in period drama because they want to just kind of keep the establishing shot or the, the mid shots so right. to have you know when bingley comes back in for the second attempt of the proposal it goes like zoom straight to the face like oh my god he's here you know <laughs> yes and to have that it's so much more effective because we're not prepared for it we don't think it's right. going to happen that's a single camera shot you know like right. that's just a technical thing that is able to tell a story
0: yeah yeah Absolutely. Um, One of the things that also that really interests me about the Joe Wright version is we have no sense of what the story is. Mm. We're getting world building, we're getting characters, but we don't get plot at all.
1: And that's something I was going to say earlier of like it's worth remembering what the purpose of openings is. And Mm -hmm. there isn't a clear answer to that for some storytellers oh i'm making a real good face in this frozen shot um <laughs> it, for some storytellers it's it's establishing and plot development it's mm-hmm. uh, laying a foundation so you understand where we are like we saw in the hobbit and uh, yeah. fellowship you know laying yeah. that foundation giving the prologue giving the backstory to make sure when we enter day one we know exactly what's going on with others it's shock and mystery so you know we've certainly had films where it starts with a car crash and then it's like 10 days earlier and we have to kind of figure out how they get to the point that's a different method to draw you in with joe Wright, it feels kind of like that vibe like i'm not gonna tell you i'm just gonna show you this day in the life slice of life situation but you'll be able to infer the things that are important to these people and start to draw that out but yeah i think that's just down to different storytelling techniques they're all doing the same thing and i think they're all doing it well I think the adaptations are great and they're very different and that's awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so the um, the lack of the lack of plot context, right Austin puts it out there in those first two sentences. Again, like we know what the issue is in this yeah. story, right before we hear anybody start talking. In the BBC version, they establish that by showing the men, So we we establish that um, Bingley, who is obviously rich, is coming into town. And then we see Elizabeth seeking them. Right. Mm -hmm. And then her going back to the house. So this is obviously. So we are introduced to Elizabeth, visually introduced to Elizabeth and her family and her home in the context of a rich guy just moved in next door. Um, So it's less it's less it less forcefully announces the sort of marriage theme of the, you know, of, of the story than the book does, um, but we still sort of see where the, like, lines of drama are likely to be in some way or other, right? Uh-huh. Whereas, again, we're just, we're given none of that at all, and, and I think about the, the kind of ways in which it changes, as I was suggesting about the introduction to the men in the BBC version, how it changes our frame of reference, right? If the BBC version pushes us to be kind of more objective, to look at both sides. Like, we're we're, we're sort of equally interested in Darcy and and Elizabeth, in a sense, right? Um, at least much more so in the BBC version than in the book, which is 100% from Elizabeth's point of view, and Mr. Darcy's a mystery. Um, the, the Joe Wright film is totally in the other direction. We get mm-hmm. just Elizabeth and her family, we don't even know that there are any men in the picture um, and have no way of, of even guessing at that from the from the beginning. Um, yeah. 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 Um, now, it is interesting, uh, Ms. Manrique, uh, that you can see that um, uh, pointing out the separation between Elizabeth and her family. Right. And that's something that gets emphasized in both of the first two. Right. Um, that is, sorry, both of the film versions emphasize the, um, the 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 distance between Elizabeth and her family, that she is solitary, that she's looking at them from a distance. Um, she is coming and, like, joining them or rejoining them, and they are clearly her context, but both of them have her coming from well outside the house and then returning to the house. Um, yeah, yeah. So, anyway, that's... Um, there's lots more that we could say
1: i know i'm like we barely touched this one next week might be a little more pride and prejudice we'll see (laughs) yeah
0: Yeah. um do you want to do another jane austen opening like do you want to do an emma opening say
1: or sense and sensibility god i love that one um yeah we we can either
0: um
1: there's there's only the one sense and sensibility that's what i was thinking yeah oh no there's the bbc one there's a BBC one.
0: We, we could get the BBC one. Okay.
1: Well, let's do both, Corey. Let's,
0: pff, why choose? We get to decide this, right?
1: You guys are <laughs> fine with
0: it. You don't mind if we have four or five Jane Austen uh, let's book just discussions? Call it Jane
1: Austen. I was going to say we should call Jane Austen Month, but I was also thinking we should probably do something Halloween-y just because that would be fun. I don't know what uh, the answer uh, right. to that is yet. But.
0: And also we may be interrupting our schedule to talk to the Return to Moria folks at True. some point.
1: So and it's then like it's Christmas, answer. and we have to do something Christmassy. So you know what? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Do we want to just pick something for next week though, so we can assign homework?
0: Yeah, let's assign homework. So do you want? So we we can do Sense and Sensibility if you like.
1: Oh, I don't mind either one.
0: Okay, let's do Sense and Sensibility then. I um, know it
1: way better than Emma, but I am happy to do both.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, let's do sense and, and sensibility then. Um, okay. The Emma one would be a little bit interesting because it was just that relatively recent Emma.
1: Yeah. Oh, that was really good.
0: Yeah. So I yeah. was thinking we could maybe do that one and the maybe the Gwyneth Paltrow or something. The Paltrow one. Um, so we do the, the the Gwyneth Paltrow and the recent one and the book. Um,
1: I'm with I'm with Madagot uh, and oh, Clueless. Oh, and Clueless. Yeah. And totally. One
0: hundred percent. One hundred percent. Clueless, one of my excellent adaptation. Uh, oh phenomenal adaptation i mean it's clueless has to be on my short list of favorite and we could have brought bridget
1: jones into the conversation with pride and prejudice too so yeah i think touching into these modern adaptations of jane austen is really fun
0: bridget jones is tough because then we'd have to bring in both book and film uh basically whereas with um with clueless at least we just have like it's another film adaptation with still the same central um yeah yeah because yeah, we have to think about the relationship between the Bridget Jones book and the Bridget and 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 Pride and Prejudice book, as well as the film's relationship to those books and to each other. Um, as of course they cast Colin Firth as the Darcy, as Darcy. character in as both. In both.
1: <laughs> so yeah, she must have loved.
0: Oh yeah. man, it's yeah, yeah. All um, right, so
1: next week is Sense and Sensibility. We're going to do the Emma Thompson one and the BBC one yes yeah okay yes sense and And sensibility next time and same kind of rules like opening bit everybody can kind of decide what that is it's not like the first chapter it's like the first thing that establishes our 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 entry
0: though austin's chapters are pretty short so
1: true yeah Yeah. fun all right cool we made up for being a little bit late
0: yeah exactly (laughs) stayed over a little bit late too um yeah excellent very good um uh, so yeah, so Sense and Sensibility next time. First chapter Seven. of the book or so, and then those two films, uh, the BBC and the uh, Emma Thompson.
1: And know that we're planning on Emma in the near future, if yes. it's not the following week. Sounds yes. good.
0: Excellent. All right, awesome. very good. Thanks everybody for joining us, and uh, we will see, I've got so many windows open, I can't even find where I can close down the stream. Okay, all right. Thanks very much, everybody. (laughs) Have a good evening, Merlin. Merlin's already asleep, so we're good.
1: He's already up. (laughs) See you
0: guys. (laughs) Bye, everybody.
1: Bye.